Warning, this podcast contains mature themes from very immature people. I feel like maybe there's one thing I can say without like making fun of the fact that I'm marketing the podcast to men who want this pussy. Um, Mm -hmm. I told one guy I was just chatting with, haven't met him yet about the podcast because we're talking about what we're into and we're both really into movies and TV. And Mm -hmm. it was like, oh, great, I'm going to go listen to it. And I didn't really didn't really think that much about it and then about three hours later i just get a message that says pale and frails huh (gasps) and then and then another one that's like a dump truck ass question mark (laughs) (laughs) i was like huh i should Mm. probably be a better human being and also not direct people who i don't really know to listen to this podcast well, I think there's a few lessons to be learned from this. <laughs> you know, we present personas. We present personas when we record. You are a a beautiful, voluptuous woman of discerning taste. And I am a skank bag. And I just fuck. Anything in a bathroom. Well, you are a beautiful, voluptuous, non-binary human of discerning taste. Well. We talk all the time about the people you like and don't like, so I wouldn't say you're a skank bag who fucks anything in a bathroom. (laughs) I would say say maybe you're a skank bag who fucks the people you like in bathrooms. Oh, that's fair. (laughs) Because I was, I was on a date recently, and I... I can talk about this one because I deliberately did not say the name of the podcast on this date. (laughs) There was a a date where uh, I told you to quote uh, one of my favorite documentaries. um, I went in there fully prepared to suck his dick. (laughs) I was thoroughly disappointed because I just can't stand the guy. Just suffered through an hour, an hour of a date. Man, I just want to dig in a little deeper on this fully prepared to suck dick thing. Mm. You were like daydreaming about sucking dick all day. But really, were you daydreaming about sucking dick or were you daydreaming about uh, trading sucking dick to get your own your own stuff licked? I mean, because (laughs) because as a person, as a person who dates men way more than you date men Mm -hmm. i don't ever wake up in the morning like man you know what i want to do today suck some dick (laughs) (laughs) honestly i i was kind of thinking like oh that that'd be a novel experience for me because uh the the times when i've uh encountered penises have been kind of few and far between and honestly i this is actually maybe it's a point of pride because I think the last time I sucked dick, I was very lazy about it. <laughs> I do think it would be kind of redeeming of me to go into a situation next with like vim and vigor, ready to ready to suck that dick. Hooray! <laughs> yeah. Well. I just don't know that vim and vigor is what you want out of a blowjob. 
Vim and Vigor is like what you want out of a tap dance routine, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Look into his eyes. They're the eyes of a man obsessed by sex. Welcome to Let's Get It On Film, the all things sex in film and TV podcast. We're your hosts, Kate and Lauren. Hi, Kate. Hi, Lauren. How are you doing? I feel like I should check in. And- uh, well, I feel like a feel like a duffel bag of shit if I'm being honest. But God, I was so horny for Bo Burnham <laughs> when I watched when I watched his new special Inside. I was so yeah. God, that special hit close to home, and it's got it's got that big weird like bored slutty energy that we've all had in quarantine. So so much yes. of it is kind of like him dancing around in his underpants and making it's like funny like parody sexy 80s music videos half naked and and they're like weird weird close-ups on his treasure trail or like his navel (laughs) (laughs) and you're like this is all so weird and yet it's kind of doing it for me anyway kind of dancing around your house mostly in the nude because you're feeling sexy is a lot of what i've done in the Mm. past year Mm -hmm. he's such a good songwriter that it's mm-hmm. funny that he dedicates that talent to silliness but uh as i'm sure i've told you before one of my favorite things in the world is when extremely talented people apply their talents to absolute nonsense so you get high quality nonsense out of it it's my favorite thing yeah one could argue that's a little bit what we're doing with the podcast <laughs> i wouldn't call this shit high quality all right <laughs> Way to put me back in my place. I mean, it's not just about you. Don't be selfish. I am one half of the poor quality here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was the one with delusions of grandeur, I guess. That's true. Come back down to earth, baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, I'm really excited to tackle this week's topic with you. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know if you found this, but I found that there's a little bit of confusion about the definition of today's topic. Ooh, yes. I agree. I agree. What we decided to go with was group sex. Mm -hmm. And there seems to be a little bit of controversy about the difference between group sex and orgies and swinging and Mm -hmm. threesomes or like, you know, people having sex with people in the same room, but not having sex with each other kind of thing. Mm. I could not find any like solid textbook definitions. This is what this one is. This is what that one is. Here's where they overlap. I saw one person say an orgy is a kind of group sex, like a square is a kind of rectangle. (laughs) Huh. Okay. Okay. Is the idea that group sex is people in a certain area having sex and an orgy is them having sex with each other. That's the best I could figure, but it seems like everyone's opinion is a little bit different. So some people think, you know, you could be like two sets of two people on the same bed having sex and that's group sex. And as long as you're not in a pile of four people, it's not an orgy. That's interesting. I mean, I think once you get down into defining, (laughs) once you get into the, the details of like, well, his hand touched that penis and, you know, this, like, fucking vagina got goo? Oh, no. 
I'm sorry. Uh, what now? I'm sorry. Uh, fluid is the term I should have used. Well, that's even um, worse, probably. Well, <laughs> my point was going to be before I got totally derailed by my own uh, thoughts. Um, was my point was going to be once you get that granular, it's like kind of why are you bothering? Yeah. It's kind of one of those, like, do what you want and call it what you want. And it's nobody else's business things. Like, like all things, gender and sexuality, in my opinion, do what you want Mm. as long as it's not hurting anyone else and call it what you want. (laughs) Yeah. Don't be someone who's like, well, I've done group sex, but I never, I never do an orgy. Like, (laughs) that's, you know. Don't don't make those definitions part of your personality, probably. <laughs> yeah. When we decided to do this topic, uh, I think you had your idea off the top of your head. Yeah. So I, I had this idea right off the top of my head. This is a, a personal favorite all time sex scene for me that I'm going to talk about. What I brought for you today is something that is absolutely famous for its group sex scenes. So mm-hmm. I brought to you. Sense eight, the word sense and the number eight for anyone listening who hasn't seen it, um, mm-hmm, which is an, mm-hmm. an American Netflix original sci fi show. It ran for two seasons and a movie starting in 2015. It was created by the Wachowskis, who wrote and directed The Matrix, Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending, and J. Michael Straczynski, who created Babylon 5. Uh, they are all high concept sci-fi powerhouses in their own right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in Sense8, eight strangers from around the world begin to share one consciousness and then have to face off against a shadowy group called a Biologic Preservation Organization, or BPO, that's trying to hunt them down. Uh, mm. They are, quote unquote, burst into a cluster of Sense8s or people who share a deep psychic connection by someone who's in another cluster through a natural phenomenon of uh, uh, genetic shit. I don't know. It's, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's really character driven sci-fi. It's a, it's a big, beautiful, diverse, queer love fest. And I don't really watch it for the plot. (laughs) They have some great actors on that show, don't they? Yeah, really great actors and all basically no-name actors, Mm. which is incredible. I I wasn't familiar with any of them except um, Brian J. Smith, and only because I think he was on, like, Gossip Girl for a Mm. second or something. I didn't really know any of these actors. Isn't uh, Freema, what's her name, Freema Adjaman? Yeah, she was on Doctor Who. Martha, I, right? she's yeah, she's Martha, and she's she has a queer love story. This is the really the only thing I know about this show. <laughs> Wait, you haven't watched it? I haven't watched it. <gasps> I'm, okay, I okay, know. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay, okay, okay. Are you gonna um, have to adjust ooh, your entire worldview? Man, I just I came in assuming. I guess I've made an ass out of you and me. I assumed you had seen Sensei <laughs> because. It's just so on brand for you. It's very on brand. I, you know, I love queer things. Just obviously, you know, I am a sci-fi fan. But I will be honest. I don't love the Wachowskis' world building or writing. 
Interesting. Uh, I think they're Wachowskis. Wachowskis. Yes. That's interesting. Yeah, this is I hadn't I haven't seen any of their other stuff, but I do love this one in a real serious way. Mm. Okay, so this show is like a it's a shockingly ambitious venture. It takes place all over the world and was shot on location all over the world. Many of these scenes take place in many locations at once due to this psychic connection that all the characters share. So every scene had to be shot several times over in several places in practical locations in different countries. Uh, Thus, it was a super, super expensive show to make. It averaged between like four and nine million dollars per episode. Wait, 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 per episode? Per episode. Jesus Christ. Yes, uh, that's why it only got two seasons out of Netflix, because Netflix said it didn't have the viewers to justify the cost. Which is crazy, because I watched it enough alone to justify the cost. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's also, it's a really multicultural show. It's performed in English, Spanish, Swahili, Korean, Icelandic, Hindi, German. I'm sure more than I'm not thinking of off the top of my head, but like a lot of different languages. And not to be too Stefan from SNL about it, but this show has everything. It's got trans (laughs) characters and creators. It's got Bollywood dance sequences, heists, car chases, orgies, group sing-alongs, full frontal male nudity. I mean, truly something for everyone with good taste. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That all does sound great. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't sarcasm, I swear. For obvious reasons, there are eight main characters, all played by these essentially no-name actors. Um, Those characters are Lido, who is a hilariously dramatic and closeted actor from Mexico City. Sun, a high-powered executive and lady fight club badass from Seoul. Riley, who's an Icelandic DJ who lives in London. Uh, Nomi, who's a trans hacktivist in San Francisco. Will, a broy Chicago cop, who's also the son of a cop, but he's a cop that says trans rights, so we don't hate him too bad. <laughs> okay. Wolfgang, a locksmith slash safecracker from an organized crime family in Berlin. Kala, a pharmaceutical scientist from Mumbai. And Caffius, a bus driver and Jean-Claude Van Damme enthusiast from Nairobi. That last, that last bit's very funny. <laughs> it's true. The Jean-Claude Van Damme enthusiast. <laughs> he, he drives a commuter van in Nairobi that's called the Van Damme. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they're all very different people. They come from vastly different life circumstances, different, you know, financial circumstances. They're of different races, different genders, different sexualities. Uh, they are all... Fucking gorgeous, though. They just picked <laughs> beautiful people. Um, so those are the eight in this cluster, and they are the the August 8th cluster is what they call them. And I think the idea is that they were all born on 8888, but I can't really remember because, again, I don't watch for the plot. <laughs> <laughs> so at first, when they are birthed and they become a cluster, uh, they're all adults already. Um, And it happens to them all at the same time. Um, That's when they start being connected. Uh, The characters just, they start bleeding over into each other's lives a little bit. So, for example, Leto gets uh, weepy and crampy because Sun is on her period. Mm. (laughs) 
That's unfortunate. It's actually fucking hilarious. He's a, he's a drama queen. And so they play it up that he's a drama queen and he's on, he's on the phone with his boyfriend going, I'm in so much pain. My stomach hurts so much. I think it's a tumor. And Hernando, I think I have cancer. And then somebody honks in traffic behind him and he just unleashes on the guy. And it's like, I see you villain. I see you with your villain mustache. Like he's a, he's a huge <laughs> drama queen. So the joke is on Lido and it's not on Sun. Um, Cause okay. Sun is fine. Son is fine. She just kind of like rolls out of bed and groans and that's it. Yeah. But, but Leto is having a fucking breakdown over it. So that's the joke. So it's these little things oh. where they're kind of maybe not noticing or not knowing why they're feeling this way or what's happening or why somebody who doesn't speak English would be singing what's up by four non-blondes. But then it, it all escalates uh, and they start seeing each other and being able to talk to each other from a distance in their heads and so they get more and more connected and eventually they learn to control the connection and communicate openly and they share each other's skills and bodies and experiences. And it's all very interesting. And they find these really creative ways to have these very disparate characters start interacting and becoming part of each other's lives. Um, some of the main eight have partners already. Um, some of them start being interested in each other from a distance, they kind of, so for example, uh, Wolfgang and Kala have a deeper connection and they start seeing each other a lot and just like not being sure if they're really there or if they're imagining them or whatever. So they've got a deeper connection within the cluster. But we find that when someone in the cluster starts getting horny, the whole group starts getting horny. And mm -hmm. you can probably see where this is going. Okay. It sounds good. I mean, <laughs> to be honest, I think I would hate it if anyone on on Earth knew the instant I was getting horny. Maybe watch this scene. Have you seen this scene? I feel like. No. No? Okay. Well, watch the scene and then tell me what you think. Um, you're going to want to go to Netflix. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that scene is a lot um let me describe it and then I, yeah. I eagerly await your thoughts you have a lot to describe there's a lot happening there's a lot happening it's a long scene um so let me let me give it a try the scene starts with Nomi and her girlfriend Amanita waking up in bed together Nomi it seems just wakes up horny starts Kissing up on Amanita, and it becomes immediately clear that she's in the mood for some loving. Meanwhile, totally separate situation in Chicago. Will is at the gym with his cop partner, Diego, and they are being suspiciously flirty for a couple of uh, mm -hmm. ostensibly straight Chicago cops. Yes, yeah, super flirty. I was super not, I, mm. flirty, flirty energy. And Diego says uh, something to Will like, I got to be honest with you, Will. When I first got assigned to you, that fucking name, Gorski, his name is Will Gorski. He says, I was picturing some type of typical Chicago goober with a big mustache and a gut hanging over his belt. But I got to say... You keep that shit looking tight. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like the funniest, most flirtatious, non-toxic masculinity. It's so funny. It's yeah, that's a that's so funny. So that's the energy we roll into the same scene with. And then at mm -hmm. the same time, 
Lido and his boyfriend Hernando are working out on the rooftop of their building in Mexico City. Lido is laying on his back. He's lifting weights and Hernando is by his head, spotting him, encouraging him, counting and feeling up his pecs in a real serious way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we start kind of intercutting between these three locations and activities. So you've got Lido, Hernando, and their live-in beard slash kind of girlfriend, Daniela. They don't really ever define that relationship, but she does. She engages with their sex from a distance. Um, So they're done working out and they're having cocktails still up on this roof. Lido climbs up on Hernando, who's sitting on a bench and starts basically giving him a lap dance, kind of just dancing with his dick in Hernando's face (laughs) is kind of what it comes down to. And then we cut back to um, Will and Diego at the gym and they, they have started admiring the pretty ladies who are in the gym. So it's like everybody's blood is up, right? That's what we're seeing. Um, And that's where they bring in Wolfgang, who is lounging in a pool, naked at a public bathhouse, um, dick out. I feel it must be stated. And he's surrounded by other beautiful, naked people at this place. Uh, And everything just starts intensifying and heating up. Um, And suddenly things shift from being all separate in these separate locations with their separate partners. Um, And we get this great moment where Will is flat on his back in the gym in Chicago, lifting, and suddenly Lido is there spotting him the way Hernando was for him earlier. Sweaty, sexy, right up in his face, being way too touchy about it. Um, And then from there, things just get more and more conflated and mixed up in the coolest way. So uh, Daniela starts taking pictures of Lido and Hernando making out on the rooftop, and she starts touching herself. Yeah, I wanted to say one thing about that. Uh-huh. Uh, if they're if she's their beard, mm-hmm. and they're he's in the closet, why on earth would she be taking pictures? Uh huh. Well, they get to that eventually. I promise. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. It's like I I saw that and was like, well, that's going to be a plot point. Yes, because indeed, like such a stupid thing. Why why do it? It has to be for the service of the narrative. I mean, not that it's not a whole ass mood. Those two are fucking beautiful specimens. Um, so That's if I were true. in a position to take photos, I might think about it. But yeah, it's a terrible idea and it is a plot point. So very astute of you to notice. Okay. And from there, we cut back to Nomi and Amanita. And in case it wasn't clear to anyone what's going on, Nomi says, I'm going to make love to you. <laughs> and then Lido picks up the end of the line and he speaks it to Hernando and says, like the first time we kissed. Ah. They're sharing these thoughts. They're sharing these experiences. And then it's like they swap and Nomi is kissing Hernando and Lido is kissing Amanita and they've switched bodies and bedrooms. Mm-hmm. That bit, I just want to say, I really do like the cutting between that and it works really well with um this is going to seem like an obvious thing, the directions that they're facing. Mm-hmm. Nomi is, is, is originally facing the right and kissing, uh, what's her name? Amanita. Amanita. And then uh, when it switches and she's in the other body, she is, you know, in a totally different position facing a different direction. And mm-hmm. that's like, that's just a little thing. I like it very much. It's 
it's incredibly choreographed. It had to be exactingly choreographed and storyboarded and planned out. And it's all incredible to watch. And so it just keeps escalating. And so Lido and Hernando are having sex. Nomi and Amanita are having sex. Uh, and poor Will's just trying to get through his workout at the gym. <laughs> 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 and then suddenly Nomi's in the pool with Wolfgang and she's also in the gym with Will and she's kissing up on both of them. And then while she's holding Amanita's hands down on the bed and yes. also making love to her. Right. While she's going to town on Amanita. Um, and then Leto's in the pool with Nomi and Wolfgang. And then a few seconds later, Will joins them. So they're suddenly, they're a group in this bathhouse. Um, and you, you get the drift. They're intercutting between all these people and locations. And they're all together, but they're not together. They're separate, but they're all psychically experiencing what the others are doing and feeling. Um, and it just kind of all devolves to a writhing mass of beautiful naked people in several of these locations. So they're in Nomi and Amanita's bedroom. They're in Lido and Hernando's bedroom. They're in this bathhouse in Germany. Um, and it is just so hot. Are they also are they also in the gym fucking? <laughs> There's less of it there, right? So okay. um, and I think that's because Will's not in private, is the idea mm-hmm. there. So so it can only go so far for him. Okay. It's just it's so hot, so gorgeous, so bisexual. <laughs> no mm-hmm. one no one cares who's on who. Um, because they're basically all one person and it's just like masturbating. They just release themselves to it. Even the characters who thought they were straight or thought they were gay, they are all just getting off together. And about five and a half minutes into this giant orgy scene, everyone starts coming. We cut between their gasps and moans and their faces of ecstasy. It looks like poor Will blows a load in his shorts at the gym because he then starts yeah, he, look- does. he starts looking around himself to make sure he doesn't have an audience for this little psychic orgy he's been taking part in. Um, Leto, ever the drama queen, throws himself out of bed clutching his dick and says, I just had one of the best orgasms of my life and starts giggling. And much to his credit, her boy, his boyfriend, Hernando, just kind of goes, now it's my turn. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's a question. Does um, the guy in the pool, did you say his name was Wolfgang? Mm-hmm. Is it implied that he comes or is he just sort of enjoying the sensation and doesn't come because it doesn't seem so? unclear he remains the most unaffected at the beginning when everybody's everyone's blood is getting up he's laying back and he's lounging and he's not moving a muscle and he's just looking serene and so you kind of get the impression that he's less affected by it but it's just kind of like yep that's the shit and i'm just gonna lay here and enjoy it from a distance and then it's on him right so i don't think i don't think they show wolfgang coming but i guess that doesn't mean that he didn't Mm mm-hmm because he's the person I'm kind of identifying the most with, to be honest, <laughs> is he's just kind of lying there and letting these beautiful people just like kiss on him and pleasure him. And I'm just like, oh, that's nice. That's he, just nice. He is the character being uh, being European that is the most comfortable with nudity. He spends a lot of time in the mm-hmm. show in the nude. And so I think that's part of it. He was already just hanging out in a public place surrounded by naked people. So it's maybe not like as outrageously titillating for him to be suddenly surrounded by more naked people. Cause that's where he was just casually hanging out anyway. Gotcha. <laughs> so it could be, sense. it could be any number of things, but yeah, I really, uh, Wolfgang's got a bit of sang about him, which is just kind of 
part of his character. So the whole thing runs just over six minutes, which is very long for a sex scene. Uh, and then it concludes with Caffius sitting on his bus watching the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie and suddenly realizing he has a confusing boner. It's absolute perfection. <laughs> Such a funny <laughs> end to it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's weird. That's funny. I like that. <laughs> so, Warren, please tell me your thoughts about all of this. <laughs> so there's a lot. There's a lot of thoughts I have. I think my first thought was something that I blurted out when the scene pretty much started, which was just, ooh, titties. <laughs> you heard me audibly say that. And mm -hmm. that was what was running through my mind a lot of this scene. I appreciate the level of nudity. I appreciate it very much from all sides. I think the, the kind of relaxed nudity of Wolfgang in, in that tub uh, or pool, I guess, in that pool. Um, it's just kind of nice. You don't see that sort of casual, like you said, European take on nudity too much. But then I liked the really sexualized nudity that they had going on with Nomi and with uh, Lido, right? I liked, mm -hmm. I liked that very much. Uh, if I could, I think I almost would have preferred if it was just a sex scene of Nomi and Amanita. And Lido and Hernandez. Hernando. <laughs> Hernando, right. I just could watch those people have sex just uninterrupted because those were the people I was the most attracted to. And the guy in the gym and the guy in the bath, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, all right. And when everyone starts getting up on each other, it's like, okay, this looks like fun for you, but it's not as fun for me because I can't see what's happening, you know? Mm-hmm. That's the selfish, like, <laughs> I want to be horny kind of take. The more nuanced, like, filmmakery take is it's a really good example of what I think must happen throughout the show of, of just emphasizing through filmic techniques that these people are one consciousness. The very sudden cut to uh, Leto being over uh, Will, you said? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of names for me to keep straight. Yes, there are. Not only the main eight, or not all of them are in it, but um, not only the main characters, but also their partners. <laughs> yeah. Um, where the, the two guys that are suddenly in the same space. That's a great cut. It's abrupt, and it really, really works to, like you said, shift the tone. Yeah, and I think there's something that's that's surprising about it. It catches you off guard because if there are any two in this group where you think, oh, that's where a connection's going to spark, it's not between Leto and Will. <laughs> Interesting, <laughs> okay. They're just, they're very, very different. Will is really calm, collected, really kind of straight, average, white Chicago cop, and Leto is just this over-the-top, dramatic gay actor in Mexico and they just, they don't have anything in common. And, and I, I guess the, the clear connection between them is that they're both working out in this moment. Mm -hmm. Right. So they've got that going in common, but you would not expect um, a real spark of sexual chemistry. And the fact that Lito just kind of appears and is there and will just kind of is like, okay, okay. 
okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's yeah. happening. And he, there's no like, there's no like, whoa, bro, what are you doing? Or like, what's happening to me right now? Or, oh God, am I having a gay crisis? It's just like, oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm being groped by this man who I share a consciousness with and I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> yeah. No gay crisis to be found here. Love that. Um, I already mentioned, I really do like the technique between the scene where Nomi and Leto finish their sentence, the way that their bodies swap as they kiss their partners. I mean, all this must have taken a lot of coordination, but that matching in particular must have. Mm -hmm. And the matching is so good and so seamless that it almost like, takes you a second to realize that they've switched when they switch. Yeah. But so for, for me, I think the one that I was just like, oh, wow, is that was when um, suddenly Lita was kissing Amanita because it's like, you, I think you see Amanita more clearly. And so my brain was just like, oh, we're back with Nomi and Amanita. <gasps> no, we're not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I just love that. I feel like it keeps you guessing the whole time. Um, and every time you think you've seen it all, you're like, oh no, there was another combination we hadn't seen. <laughs> can I, can I be a little horny on Maine here? I Please mean, what, do. Are, what else are we doing? <laughs> I invite you to be horny on Maine. Who is, who is this actress for Nomi? Her name is Jamie Clayton. I'm so into her in this scene in particular. She seems like she is, uh, almost the like sexual glue. <laughs> That's keeping this group sex together mm -hmm. uh, because there's that bit where she's there's a very quick little two shot where she's starting to go down on Amanita. Then we see uh, Amanita like arching her back and her tits are out. and it's, Oh, it's so sexy and good. Uh, and then it cuts to her like running her hands up Wolfgang in the pool. And then it cuts to her as uh, Will is doing a, a sit-up or a crunch or whatever. And she, like, grabs the front of his, uh, his, his shirt. Tank, and, like, yeah. Like, clutches his tank. Yeah, she, like, pulls him uh, forward. Yeah, that's gorgeous. That, like, sequence of scenes, it's so well done. Because it's really sort of highlighting her power and her, like, sexual energy. And it really is working to be like, this is bringing everyone together in uh -huh. this moment, at least. And I Oof. love that they let Nomi be that person. And I think it was probably extremely intentional because Nomi is the trans character. They let this trans woman be the, the center of this sexy situation. And there's no like... Would I date a trans woman? Would I not date a trans woman? Would I? There's no like question about sexual attraction, about sexual desire, about whether or not she's a woman and these people want to be having sex with a woman or, you know, there's like, there's just nothing to it. It's like kind of that, like, I don't know, kind of like bullshit free zone, kind of good vibes feeling that yeah. you get out of something like Shit's Creek where they're like, no homophobia in Shit's Creek. It's kind of... Mm -hmm that idea and it's not that transphobia doesn't exist within the world of the show but it has no place in the cluster <laughs> has yeah. no place in the cluster and Nomi gets to be this like sexual goddess at the center of it and I fucking love that and I suspect that that was a moment of great empowerment for the Wachowskis who are also both trans women and I just love that they did it I love it I love it and not I love it from a from a like you know, queer feminist sort of take. And I love it from a just 
Ooh, so sexy. Yeah, no, this scene is so fucking like I can't emphasize enough how fucking hot this scene is. <laughs> yeah. There's so much. I think it's it's really served well by these like really quick shots. These really quick shots. Some of them are more close, some of them are more wide, and you just see this tangle of bodies. There's just the, these really little glimpses of what's happening and it's really titillating. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, the sort of in an objectifying sort of way, the body that I'm most attracted to in this scenario is Leto because he's got, Mm. he's got that, those big old titties and a nice hairy Uh chest and he's so cut and he's wearing those gray sweatpants and you know how everybody feels about fucking gray sweatpants. (laughs) Um, And he's just looking a little sweaty and broy with his boyfriend, and I'm just like, <gasps> yeah. <laughs> I just—he's got a massive six-packer. That's his abs are insane. He's built. He's got big pecs. He's got like a bajillion pack. He's got a huge bulge going in those sweatpants. He's mm-hmm. dancing like an absolute fucking whorebag on his boyfriend and looking, <laughs> looking great doing it. And I am just so randy for Lito and Hernando. You know, I, you know, I like to watch boys get it on anyway, but um, mm-hmm. God, are they like just ticking all the boxes for me? Um, aside yeah. from everything else, those are the two where I'm like, I would watch an hour of these two. <laughs> Yeah, I am Daniela. Unfortunately, I'm Daniela. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's this great, great, great shot, uh, sort of right before the scene ends of, uh, I guess, Lido bending Hernando over and fucking him, and it's oh, it's just a beautiful. This is very granular and very sexual. <laughs> the arch of his like back mm-hmm. as he's bent over mm-hmm. it's so beautiful yep it's like beautiful and perfect in the way that real sex doesn't look because they're like yeah so in sync they're so in sync and they're so like the the curves of their spine they're arched so beautifully together it's like uh, it's like they're they're kneeling on the bed front to back or something and Lido like tilt him forward so that he's more like hands and knees or something is what happens in this moment. But they're like so in sync and they're curved so beautifully together. And it's like, it's, it's like the shape of it all is really aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's, it's that way, like you said, sex isn't really, and pornography, only some pornography even tries to, to get this sort of aesthetic look. It's so, it's so beautiful. It's like, it's almost more like a, like dancers' bodies. You know how dancers' yep. bodies, when they're like in a full, you know, skin tight leotard or something, they stretch and arch their their bodies a certain way. It's about the beauty of their form. That's sort mm-hmm. of what it reminds me. Of. It's less about the sexuality of it, but God is that there too. Yeah, and just as a a personal aside. Uh, being such a chest person, I love all the all the the peck groping in the scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, just, it's very tit heavy. It's tit heavy. It's a tit heavy scene, and I like <laughs> it, and I approve. And I wish more things were a little tit heavy between, like Hernando going after Lido's pecs or Nomi going after everybody's chest. 
Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, just so good. It's, I want to say one thing about the end of this. I think it's funny. You see uh, uh, Will and Leto have such kind of wacky orgasms. Leto like falls backwards and, and is like, you know, making, they're, they're, they look ridiculous. They have some of the weirdest <laughs> orgasm reactions I think I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah, they have extreme reactions. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. Uh, and I like that in contrast to the way that Wolfgang is just kind of still lounging. And the whole <laughs> thing really does look like it was just in his head. Mm-hmm. And the really gentle, really beautiful smile that Nomi gives uh, her partner is really nice. Yeah, just like a beautiful, soft little kiss after. That's very romantic. Yeah. And then on the kissing front, I love how long they make you wait. After that initial moment in the gym between Leto and Will, they make you wait a while before you ever see them kiss. Mm -hmm. But they do finally give it to you. Um, Because in that... In that moment in the gym, it's like they're, they're so close face to face where you think, are they going to kiss? And then they don't. Leto just kind of like rests his mouth kind of like on Will's cheek or like on the side of his face, just kind of like rests down on him. But they don't kiss. And then so you're like, whoa, that was charged and gay. But it, nothing really happened. But then they do later on finally give you that moment where Leto and Will are actively kissing. And I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think I just saw that moment where it's it's an interesting one because it's just the two of them in that shot. They let them have a moment. There's a lot to like about this scene. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is um, Anita and Hernando not really knowing what they're part of is an interesting mm-hmm. dynamic because these two couples are very open with each other. And they have had, up to this point, they've had a little bit of, like, something very weird is going on with me. And so Nomi and Amanita are more open about it. And Nomi's like, I don't know what's going on. I'm seeing people. Maybe I'm crazy. And Leto's just calling Hernando and going, I'm losing my mind and I have cancer and all things are wrong. So it's like they both know something is going on with their partners. Mm -hmm. But they can't really know that they are part of this giant orgy. But they are they yeah. are so wrapped up in the energy of it anyway. And then as mm-hmm. a byproduct, wrapped up in the visual of it. So those moments where you see mm-hmm. Hernando kissing Nomi, even though they're both gay. Or mm-hmm. Lido kissing Amanita, even though they're both gay. is <laughs> like mm-hmm. where they've just swapped partners. And it's like, do the partners know? Is that okay? Does it matter? Is it that Leto and Nomi are really the same person? So it doesn't matter if they switch. It's not a violation of their partners. Is it a violation of their partners? Is it everybody knows and nobody cares and it's all fine? <laughs> I just love mm. kind of like really getting into that element of it because there's that and then there's Will and Wolfgang who are in public. And if they've like really yeah. leaned into this, they're surrounded by people who do not need to be involved <laughs> and should not yeah. be involved and have not been, mm-hmm. have not consented to be involved. And so there's mm-hmm. a layer that's probably getting too deep into it and nobody cares and it's not the point. But I do also think about those things. That is the, the yeah, like you said, uh, sort of outside of the text, uh, in, in the 
in the text of the show, no one cares and it's fine. And I think in the text of the show, the consent issue isn't really looked at because of that idea that they are all one person. Uh, but you're right. When you look, when you look a bit farther, you take a step back outside of the narrative. You're like, Ooh, <laughs> what's, what's going on there? Yeah, man. What do you think? Should we, should we stop and read it? We should stop. We should stop. All right. So stop. We'll break it down. Give it a rating one through five, starting with soundtrack. And Lauren, we finally have another great addition to the Fuck Jams playlist. We sure do. This is I as soon as this song came on in the scene, I was like, oh, yeah. Yes. So this song is called Demons by Fatboy Slim. It's got amazing lyrics there all of your demons will wither away ecstasy comes and they cannot stay you'll understand when you come my way because all of my demons have withered away um and like i said before demons is what this episode is called demons are a theme of the episode it's it's playing uh, it's playing on the the idea that they don't really know what's happening to them yet they don't know who these people are how they're connected why they're connected um and so they're all Mm -hmm. kind of applying their own life experience, understandings of the world, whether that be religion, psychology, science, whatever, sort of all applying their various life experiences to this and trying to figure out what's going on. Um, So that's what we're dealing with. So honestly, I give the soundtrack a five. I think it's just like a spot on choice. It's all thematically connected. I love it. I agree. Very sexy. No arguments here. Mm Mm-hmm. And so next is the timing, which I'll also give a five to. It's just over six minutes, which you'd think might be too long. But man, this is beautiful, perfect, amazing, ideal. No notes. <laughs> they, they take us on this on this full journey with these characters from getting kind of physically worked up, getting their blood pumping, whether they're like horny in bed with Nomi and Amanita or just working out like Lido and Hernando and Will. Um, through that point where everyone kind of realizes that it's sexual energy thrumming through their veins. And then you've got that beautiful moment of discovery that they're all experiencing it together with Leto and Will is kind of that moment where it, it shifts and they realize they're all together. And then it just keeps building at pretty pretty organically until it is this full-on orgy in three different physical locations. Yeah, I think my take on the timing is like there's different parts of this scene. There's the build up and and the kind of uh slow introduction of sexuality that I think culminates in the uh lap dance and what the the like girls walking by at that point with Will. Mm-hmm. You know, there's kind of this this building of like, oh, this is sexual what's happening. This is sexual what's happening. Um, and then there's a definite shift. I think it's when Nomi says, I want to make love to you. And that really changes to not just this energy, but to this real expression and the action of having sex. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's the, there's kind of the, to use a phrase come down uh 
where they all come and then they relax and the scene kind of fades out. It's, there's a lot less of that last bit, but it's still there. But for the most part, you know, you've got a three-act structure pretty much. Exactly. Three-act structure and then like a, like a tag at the end is how I feel yeah. about the Caffius thing. It's three, three acts. We hit mm-hmm. our resolution. And then just sort of that last, that last one, two punch, we get, we get that moment with Caffius for a little laugh about it. Like, like, oh yeah, were you too into this? Were you getting really turned on? Were you part of this cluster, (laughs) part of this moment? (laughs) Joke's on you and your awkward boner, just like Caffius. I just think it's really, really well done. I agree. Good use of time. I might argue that the buildup goes on a bit long, but then they just make up for it with just this beautiful sex that culminates from, you know, the the making out to the orgasm. And it's just, it works so well. Uh, And then on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, we've got the authenticity, which I have to give. Are you saying, are you (laughs) saying this has never happened to you? (laughs) No, I've never been part of a psychic orgy before. Gotta give the authenticity on this like a one. It's ridiculous. It's impossible, but in only the best of ways. This is exactly what you want out of your ridiculousness for TV sex. Mm -hmm. It's just this like visually appealing pile of bodies intertwined and making out. But, But within it, you get moments of like authentic romance and authentic sexual chemistry and authentic connection. And those are really nice. But it's supposed to be outrageous. It's supposed to be ridiculous. It's supposed to be authentic. It's supposed to be shocking. This was like the orgy scene heard around the world. Anyone who got interviewed <laughs> as part of the show for the, its entire run got asked the, so those orgy scenes, huh? <laughs> there are like two orgies by episode nine. Like it's, mm. it's a lot. There is a gigantic outrageous never such a big orgy has ever been featured before in a movie in the finale of this (laughs) like they just lean in because everyone was into it and everyone wanted to talk about it and for the most part the actors were comfortable with it by the end some of them were more comfortable with it than others they they recast caffius for season two to a different actor and i think part of that was maybe he wasn't comfortable with it and not to say that that's like a bad thing or that he was doing something wrong because you don't see Caffius involved in any of this until season two. And then suddenly Caffius is in the orgies too, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. So really for the authenticity threaded through this scene and making it easier to watch and better to watch um, are these like slivers of authenticity but just mm-hmm. just woven within this huge, ridiculous tapestry of sluttiness. And I, I just, I think it's great. It's not authentic at all. Rate it really low. Rate yeah. it a one. But I love it for its, for its lack of authenticity. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. This is a great example of a scene that's not trying. They're not trying to be authentic. They're trying to provide really hot, stimulating television. And they're nailing it. Yeah. So that takes us to Heat, um, which is off the charts. If I could give this thing a six out of five, I would. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Embarrassingly, when I went to rewatch Sense8 so that I could prep for this episode, I had left it just at the end of the scene from the last time I was watching. <laughs> <laughs> 
so I had a Balance. moment of, oh, you, you <laughs> horny bitch. I know what you were up to. <laughs> That's hysterical. I love that. I love that. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you said, they all have these incredible bodies and this off the chart sexual chemistry the mixture of these beautiful, committed, loving couples, and then also just like these hot randos in the mix. It's just Mm -hmm. so sexy. I'm panting over this scene now and always. Well, uh, well deserved. It it deserves your adoration and uh, horny thoughts. (laughs) Yeah. And then production value, which I would also give a five to. As with the rest of the show, the production value is out standing the editing is gorgeous the choreography is groundbreaking you will Mm -hmm. find that with the sex scenes as well as the fight scenes they have to film in so many locations and pull so many tricks with the choreography and the camera work to make it all happen and it's flawless and a lot of it is practical effects there's not a lot of like like poster cgi or or editing that makes this stuff happen they fly these actors to these practical locations around the world and they film these scenes over and over and over again so they must have had to spend so many days shooting this orgy yeah like so many days (laughs) yeah i i absolutely believe it and it's i mean everything every moment of this feels like money well spent Mm -hmm. it's and you can see you can see the way that the production value, all that. I can see why $9 million get, gets put into this show because it is just absolutely stunning. Yeah, it's incredible. And I love watching, there's a bunch of behind the scenes footage that's so funny to watch, particularly for the fight scenes because you see these actors as they pop in and out of each other's consciousness and trying to help each other and borrow each other's skills or whatever. So particularly during the fight scenes, you have these moments where the camera will swing past one character. And then as soon as they're out of the shot, they like duck and roll out of the way so that somebody else can pop up in their place. So it's all like really practical effects and they do it like the hard way. Um, mm-hmm. and, it, and so it's really dopey to watch from a distance. It all looks so funny, but it comes together beautifully. Yeah. It's skill. That's absolutely attributed to the skill of everyone involved. Mm-hmm. I understand the hype. Yeah. I do. So I was so into the show that I got the opportunity to go to the LA premiere of the the final movie. And so I went (laughs) and these actors are just as beautiful in person as they are on screen, which is crazy. I was in the ladies room at the same time as Tina Desai, who plays Kala. And she was, Uh like, in this incredible evening gown. And I walked in the bathroom and was like, "Ah, hi! (laughs) (laughs) Not really. It wasn't that bad. But I was in my mind. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I was screaming because I got to be in the same restroom as Kala. It was just a lovely experience. Mm. Lauren, what did you bring for me? Well, it's funny you ask, Kate. Is it? Uh, It's. (laughs) <laughs> it's not like we always trade off like we do. Is that the format of this podcast or is it funny that I ask? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I have a very interesting film. There, mm, There's a lot to say about this film. So let me just get into it. <laughs> uh, 
The film I've brought for you is Short Bus. Short Bus? Yes. I've never heard of it. Okay. For one thing, I'll just start off. It's kind of offensively named. Don't love it. But they, they use the metaphor of the shorter bus for the gifted and challenged as the central sort of action of the film surrounds a salon, a, a party that is thrown that is for the gifted and challenged sexually. <laughs> so that is where the name comes from. Please tell me what qualifies you to be gifted or challenged sexually. Oh, I'll talk about it. It's very clear what that means. Okay. <laughs> so this film premiered at Cannes. Uh, apparently to a 10-minute standing ovation. Wow. Yeah. Although it was not in competition at Cannes because of its absurd amount of nudity and unsimulated sex. Oh. Uh-huh. So we're going to be talking about actors actually having often penetrative sex on camera. Okay. I didn't know you could, like premiere at con and not be in competition that's interesting um yeah was it not in competition because they've got rules or was it not in competition because they were like we're not even gonna fucking try because this is a weird unsimulated porny movie and it's not gonna win do you know i actually don't know i actually don't know what the what the reason for premiering at con but not being in competition was just that that struck me as odd too so short bus takes place in this sort of fantastical post 9-11 New York City. It's very dreamlike, not really real kind of energy. And it's situated directly in, in this space between September 2001 and the blackout of August 2003. Now, I know you are not a New Yorker like I am, But uh, I remember the blackout in 2003. It was a really big deal. I remember coming home from summer camp and my mom had like filled the tub with water and filled it with ice that she had bought uh, because it was the only way to keep the apartment cool. Hmm. The the blackout was a big deal. What caused the blackout? (laughs) This is interesting. Wikipedia says the blackout's proximate cause was a software bug. Great. In a the alarm system of a control room, an energy company. And it affected a large swath of the northeast of America. Not for nothing, but US power grids are way too vulnerable. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't have privatized utilities. <laughs> like maybe. Maybe. Uh anyway, uh <laughs> so yeah, the, the blackout was like a big deal. And uh There are these little hints that it's going to happen throughout the film. Whenever characters are getting frustrated, the lights sort of flicker. (laughs) It's very, it's very interesting. And as I said, also, uh, 9-11 is a major character in this film. One of the opening shots is of Ground Zero. Okay. Very sexy, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it doesn't all have to be about the sex, but tell me um, more about 9-11 9-11 being a character. There is a bit where uh, as one of this, this main character gets sort of inducted into this 
very queer, very sexually liberated space, this short bus salon. She is is led by the madam entertainer uh, who says at one point, um, we've really been taking off, you know, now that all the, all the young people are flocking to New York. And the main character, Sophie, says, uh, why? It's so expensive here. And the madam says, uh, 9-11, it's the most real thing to have happened to them in their entire lives. <laughs> so that's kind of part of the idea, is that uh, because of this major tragedy, this shakeup, this you know loss of security that the whole city was feeling, people are trying to find peace and trying to find stability. They're trying to find connection and using their sexuality to do so. Okay. So there are a few uh, characters, there are a few sort of plot lines going through this film. Um, I've already mentioned the main character, Sophie. She is a sex therapist who has never had an orgasm. Oh, no. There is also a couple, uh, a gay couple, that go by Jamie and James. (laughs) who are having some problems, although they are very much in love. There's a weird tension between them that isn't really clear as they try and open up their relationship and bring in a third. There's also a dominatrix who is struggling with the fact that although she is this artist, she lives this, you know, sort of eccentric, uh, non-conventional lifestyle she struggles with the fact that deep down, she really just wants to own a house and have pets and start a family with someone. <laughs> and so there's a lot happening where these characters kind of mix and intertwine, and they all kind of intertwine at this salon that I've alluded to several times already. The film was really inspired by these sorts of parties. One of the inspirations was called the Cine Salon, would show experimental short films and hand out food. And then they say at the end of the evening in the same space, not a big apartment and filled with about 30 or 40 people, sex would break out. (laughs) Break out like the hives. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And uh, it was just a part of the evening of these salons. So the director is John Cameron Mitchell who you will know for writing and originating uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Uh, He's also playing Joe Exotic in that Tiger King thing with Kate McKinnon, isn't he? Is he really? (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) I didn't know that. Oh, that's perfect. (laughs) That's perfect casting because he is a little bit wild and very gay. (laughs) Okay. John Cameron Mitchell sort of wanted to make this film about sex and sexuality. And he has this really great quote that I really uh, related to, and I want to share it with you. Personally, I feel patronized when I see a serious adult film about relationships and the sex begins and they dissolve to the end. Why am I being treated like a child? If I can handle it in life, why can't I handle it in film? And that sort of Ethos is the main through line throughout this film, which opens with someone trying to um, 
give themselves a blowjob <laughs> and in a in a dominatrix play where someone gets come on a Jackson Pollock. I think Jackson Pollock would appreciate that. But uh, yeah, and, and just where a montage of sex is breaking out constantly. And now I'm using the term breaking out, but it, it just feels like sex just kind of erupts in this space. It's it's very free. It's very it's very queer, very queer uh, in the way that I mean of, you know, outside of of heteronormativity. Yeah, I'm curious if in that quote, Mitchell was talking about the romanticized nature of sex in movies where we fade to black. And so once things are good, that's where we end it. And so that's unrealistic in that way. Or if he meant, why do we fade to black and not watch not watch like cum shots in mainstream movies. I think it's the latter, my friend. Okay. Because there's a lot of cum shots in this movie. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to talk, I, I, I don't want to talk too much about the, the, um, the story of it because the story is, is really a beautiful thing, but I'm more interested in how it came about because, uh, so the way that they cast this film was uh, John Cameron Mitchell solicited like videotapes of people talking about a true life sexual experience that they'd had. And actors who submitted these were then called, for one thing, they were told explicitly, you will be having sex on camera, so be comfortable with that. And uh, these actors came in, they then rated each other based on how attractive they found the other actors. <laughs> so they had a one to four scale based on how hot they found the people that they might be working with. So from that, John Cameron Mitchell and his casting team, of course, uh, took a group that had both the skills and the stories that they were interested in but also a real sexual chemistry with each other and uh, basically got them in months and months of hardcore <laughs> uh, <laughs> improv training. Okay. So, yeah. So the film, really the story of it came about through these improv scenes that the actors would work on together. And then Mitchell would take these scenes that they had improv and write them into a script. That's interesting. So very, very collaborative work. Yeah, he specifically said that it was so that the actors wouldn't feel exposed when they were having sex on camera. It was the idea is that they're co-creators. Uh, one person I want to highlight before I get into the scene itself is the actress who plays Sophie. Her name is Sukian Lee. She is a Canadian Chinese woman and a multimedia artist. I looked her up. She's still doing cool stuff. Like she's putting out music and making documentaries. It's, she seems really cool. Hmm. But at the time, she had been a broadcaster for the Canadian Broadcasting Center. Uh, their music show, definitely not the opera. <laughs> <laughs> and when she was uh, cast in this film and it was announced that it was going to be very sexually explicit, the CBC initially threatened to fire her. But there was an outcry from celebrities like Francis Ford Coppola, uh, actress Julianne Moore, and artist Yoko Ono, uh, as well as the audience 
who liked her. And ultimately, because of the support surrounding her and the project, the CBC allowed her to, to stay. Hell yeah, fight the power. Exactly, right? Isn't that so cool? So she, I, I'm mentioning her in particular because she is sort of this, the character in this scene that I'm about to show you. Uh, as I said, she is playing the sex therapist who is pre-orgasmic, as she says. <laughs> uh, and she's being led into this world by her encounters with these other characters and is really kind of discovering this, I don't want to say like underbelly, but this more uh, off the beaten path uh, nature of, of sexuality that takes place in the salon. Huh. So like underground, this underground subculture kind of. Yes. Yes. Okay, I'm going to send you the scene. Great. That was fun. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun, right? It's fun. So uh, uh, Sophie is led into this room. Uh, We see just her and uh, this madam entertainer, who is played by Justin Vivian Bond. Uh, who I learned goes by the pronoun V or V-self. Bond leads Sophie through the salon and introduces her to the room that is called Sex Not Bombs. (laughs) And we see just this this shot of her sort of taking it in as Bond is explaining what's happening. And then we see just people fucking every which way and every which where. There is flares of light from these sort of like light leaks in the camera, uh, illuminating these close-ups, people having real unsimulated sex with their full genitals out and everything. And, uh, and we see a few close-ups before we pull back into this wide shot that just shows, I mean, 20, at least 20 people. So as I said, there's like these, these beautiful I'm already starting with the filmic techniques. There's these beautiful lens flares <laughs> and like light leaks that just add this glittery haze to the fact that there's like all these people fucking and there's like including this really beautiful shot of uh two people sucking one dick mm-hmm. and there's like this this rainbow effect over their faces. Uh and I just thought that was really beautiful. Just really quickly, have you come around on lens flares? Because last I checked, you detested lens flares. (laughs) Now listen, (laughs) I hate the trend of having lens flares in new media because lens flares are an artifact of actual film cameras. So when I can see someone like holding a 35 millimeter camera and they're shooting someone in front of a light, and I see a lens flare, I'm like, aha, yes, understandable, adds something to the scene, it adds a texture to, the, to what's happening. When I see fucking J.J. Abrams <laughs> in space with lens flares coming off of all the shiny shit that's on the deck of the Enterprise, I'm like, I know you're not... <laughs> I know what you're doing and it's stupid. <laughs> it's a completely different thing. It's it's trying to hold on to antiquated, you know, like artifacts of the past it, with like 
multi-million dollar budget. It's stupid. It's stupid. And thank you for getting me started because it's honestly, it's such a pet peeve. I love getting you worked up about J.J. Abrams lens flares. Um, it would be like the same thing as like putting like digital grain over like the Titanic. Like, why are you pretending that this was shot on like a DV camera? Like, it's so, it's so stupid. It's, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> so we we get these shot reverse shots of Sophie sort of hesitantly looking at all the sexuality on display. Um, do people know what shot reverse shot means? We say it a lot, so I hope so. I hope so. It's basically, it's that thing of where you see someone looking at something and then you see what they're looking at. Yeah, or if it's like two people, it's like reversing point of view. And so you're like seeing one person from the, the other person's perspective and then it like reverses. And so you're just getting reverse perspective cut back and forth. Yeah. So we see these, these quick shots of people kissing. Um, there's nudity on display. There's a really nice shot of just some, some woman just kind of like shaking her tits a little bit. Mm. It's, very, it's really nice. That shimmy. She's like shimmying on a dick. Shimmy. I love that. Yeah, it's really, it, it looks really nice. There's pairs and there's throuples uh, of every gender combination. There are all these sort of striking juxtapositions between these shots where uh, at one point there's, I think, the shot that I think you said Jesus under your breath, (laughs) uh, where a woman is just fully riding a dick. That's the one. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Followed by just a couple laughing. They're not really having sex right at that moment. They're laughing together. And those are the sort of juxtapositions that I really enjoy in this scene. There's also a shot I really like in comparison to these shot reverse shots where you see Sophie in the foreground sort of turning her face away from the sex that's happening in the background. And it's a really unique shot in what's happening because it really places her within the action. Love that. I don't know, just a few, it's everything's happening kind of fast. This is only about two minutes long, this scene. So there's a few more shots. Someone wears ram horns. Someone gets uh, spanked while a man is sketching them in the background. Uh, And then there's just a really soft like caress as someone is kissing another person and like stroking their hair. Then at one point, there's a figure kind of in the fray with a handheld digital camera. Uh, And there's a switch from the really clear film style of of the, well, film, to this grainy DV video quality that was really common as digital camcorders became cheap in the early 2000s. And I do love this moment because the camcorder is such an artifact, is such a, a, a thing of its time. And the way that it looks really kind of grounds this scene and the whole film in the time period. Yeah, it does. It does have a very distinctive early 2000s look about it. The set design and the outfits and that sort of thing that they really managed to pull through, even though most of the people are butt naked. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, everything's kind of handheld and like not shaky, but. Uh, there's a few zooms happening. You know, it's it's got a, a kind of 2000s aesthetic to it. Mm-hmm. 
And then near the end of the scene, um, Sophie is focusing in on a couple that's having sex, a man and a woman. And we linger on them a bit as she seems a little fascinated by them. Uh, and it's it they might be important later in the story. They, that might be hinting that they come back. Uh, and then a character called Creamy arrives with condoms, lube, non-pot blondies, and pot corn. <laughs> they, they cheerfully say uh, voyeurism is participation and then wade into the fray of people having sex. Uh, but when Sophie still seems hesitant about joining, uh, Bond leads her away. So that is this quick little scene, just very graphic, very quick in a movie that is just almost two hours nonstop of people having sex on screen. Yeah. You know, when you, when you described it to me, I thought, oh, that sounds gratuitous. It sounds like it could have been a bad situation. Shady casting sort of rife, rife with the potential for abuse and whatever. Um, but they find they find these moments of like really nice connection and authenticity and chemistry that sort of pull back from like the sort of pounding dick and vagina moments that you also see. So there are moments of like absolute gratuitous intercourse, like the one that made me say Jesus, <laughs> because I don't really feel that that's necessary and don't have anything like against it either I guess but but it doesn't really feel necessary in terms of getting the point across or communicating what you're trying to communicate but then there are also these moments where like you said you get these couples just kind of laughing together somebody getting somebody getting their ass slapped somebody's hair getting stroked that are really nice in these moments of silliness where there's so in this uh, sex not bombs room they've got like missiles hanging from the ceiling and there are a couple of mm -hmm. i think women who are riding this missile that's swinging back and forth kind of like yeah making out or maybe kind of tripping or something <laughs> which is funny yeah. and so there are moments of like laughter and happiness and joy that feels kind of innocent somehow so mm -hmm. the juxtaposition of of the very sexual, very adult nature and the sort of innocence of the joy that they're experiencing. I really like. Yeah. And that was entirely intentional. John Cameron Mitchell, I think, said that uh, <laughs> one reaction that they got from the film was, oh, it was actually funny. And he replied, well, don't you ever have fun during sex? You know, like, isn't that so that's supposed to be a part of it a lot of the time. So this light atmosphere, this sort of, you know, moments of, of levity and humor is definitely intentional. Yeah. And then, and then it's like another juxtaposition are all these people who are so comfortable and so happy. And then um, what's her name? Sophie, the main character. Sophie. Yeah. Sophie, Sophie, who's not, reacting in a big way there's no like outward oh no i'm uncomfortable what's happening but she's so contained in comparison mm -hmm. to the sort of raucous joy and sexuality of the rest of the room that it is obvious how uncomfortable she is even though she's not like you know there are no super obvious 
you know, on the nose cues. Like she's not like crossing her arms or like looking away really or whatever. She's, Mm -hmm. she's engaged with it, but her, her stillness and composure in comparison with this raucous joy in the rest of the room is like, Oh shit, she uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. And she has a few little moments in the shots where we see her face where like her brows draw together and she's kind of like almost confused. (laughs) Like, like she's not disgusted. She's not projecting disgust, but she's definitely, this isn't her comfort zone. Yeah. So I really like these, these individual moments that they highlight. I know we talked about a couple of them already, but that the two people sucking the same dick is good. And then that couple where that is a man over a woman, I assume, Mm -hmm. um, and they're fucking and she's like spread eagled and her legs are over and that's very mm-hmm. great looking um and even though the position would imply that you're getting something super gratuitous out of it you're not seeing anything super gratuitous you're just kind of seeing them smiling and laughing while she's like fucking pretzled in half that's yeah yeah that's good yeah no they do a, a good job of sort of painting this wide tableau of interactions and experiences and people and you've got this wide range of people from like very conventionally attractive to very not conventionally attractive Mm -hmm. sort of like very slim to very overweight sort of Mm -hmm. younger to more like middle-aged and Mm -hmm. different races so that's all really nice yeah i agree it's a it's a really honest sort of mix of, of who might be at a party like this it's it's very it's very I mean diverse feels weird to say like um, diversity win <laughs> like like literal diversity though not like not yeah. like wink nudge corporate diversity we've got yeah we've got ethnic diversity but but literal diversity in terms of shape and size and color and attractiveness mm-hmm. and activities and just you know diversity by its dictionary definition yeah absolutely. Uh, so a few things about the making of this scene in particular, they really just got a bunch of pre-existing couples and, and people who were already having sex with each other to have sex in this room together. (laughs) And a lot of these people are friends of John Cameron Mitchell and sort of friends of the people who are all in this sort of subculture their technique to get them comfortable was they let them go in this room and they didn't have the cameras on them for a long time. They just kind of let them relax and and start having sex with each other. And then they gradually brought the cameras in. And apparently also, I couldn't find the frame where this is happening, but apparently in this scene, John Cameron Mitchell, the director, performed cunnilingus for the first time (laughs) to make his actors feel more comfortable. The idea being that he's going out of his comfort zone. He is doing something he's never done before. And he's on the same level of vulnerability as they are. Not for nothing, but that sounds exactly like something a male director would say, which is to make you more comfortable, I'm going to have sex with my stars. (laughs) Just putting it, it out there. It wasn't like that. I mean... It definitely wasn't like that. Were you there? <laughs> no, but he's... 
very gay. <laughs> I don't think he was just looking for an opportunity to perform cunnilingus. That's what he wants them to think. Oh, it's all been a ruse. It, you know, I, to in his defense, I guess, I didn't know I'd be defending him. <laughs> I saw him described as an actor's director. Like it was it was said several times that he is a director who prioritizes his actor's comfort. That's a good reputation to have. Yeah. I am of course joking. I'm sure. I'm sure this yeah. was all on the up and up, but it just it all sounds like it's on the the down and down, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. I, I saw uh, that when, you know, I said how they had these casting calls through basically through videos submitted on the Internet. Mm -hmm. They were specifically weeding out people who were exhibitionists because they said they were in it for the wrong reason. So like uh, Sukian Lee specifically said, like, I'm not comfortable with the level of sex and nudity that I'm having in this in this film. They, they weren't just people looking to fuck this isn't really a porn it is a piece of art and it's actually i didn't think i would be saying this about this film it's actually really really good <laughs> it's such a it's such an actory impulse to say this thing makes me very uncomfortable and that's why i'm gonna do it yeah I love listening to these interviews with actors where they go, oh, well, I read the script and it terrified me. So I thought that's what I have to do for my next project. And I'm like, right. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds, it sounds so counterintuitive for somebody to be like, oh, I'm wildly uncomfortable with being that naked and having sex on screen. So I got naked and I had sex on screen. I'm like, why, <laughs> why would you do that? If it makes you uncomfortable, why would you do it? You're not benefiting from it in any way. I mean, maybe they are because they are, reaching these more, you know, different states of human experience, you know, maybe that's what they want. I guess I, I, it's got to be a personality type. Because like, I, it is a unique personality type. Well, I get it for like, if you're confronting your emotions or something, you know what I mean? Like I've been very hesitant to confront feelings about this thing that happened to me in my childhood. So I'm going to act in a script about this thing and thus will maybe resolve something. I don't see that in this situation unless there are sexual hangups about getting fucked in a room full of other people getting fucked, which is like, most of us have that hang up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I don't, I, I honestly, I don't think it's that removed. It is more extreme, certainly, but I don't think it's as removed, uh, as, as you, you seem to think. Maybe I'm just a big prude. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's definitely what I think of when it comes to you. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a really good movie because it it is dealing with what happens when one partner loves you more than you love them. And what happens when you're trying to make a marriage work because you love the person, but you're just not sexually compatible or what happens when I'm trying to think of a good example for Severine, but it's like, what happens when you're a dominatrix and you're trying to find human connection and you think you find it with this person, but it doesn't really work because actually you use them for sex like you do a lot of things. And oh, no, maybe I do relate. <laughs> anyway, 
Um, so yes, uh, there's a lot of really deep human experience that's all tied into the sexuality uh, that really does get explored in this film. And it it's it's actually really good. And I honestly think you should watch it, Kate. I think you would like it. I will think about it. It's got it's yeah, got interesting ideas and it and it looks good. Where'd you uh, where'd you find this movie? Well, I will confess I've known about this movie because one of my relatives is in it. No. And yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Lauren. Yeah. Lauren. And uh in fact you saw no. a bit of them. No. Probably more than you would like. No. In the scene that no. I showed you. Oh, Lauren. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Christmas is going to be interesting this year. <laughs> does, does your relative know that you've seen this movie? <laughs> uh no no but it might come up now mm. wow that's I'd, that's commitment yeah. i'm i'm uh equal parts horrified and very impressed yeah listen i'll admit <laughs> i did pause the movie and have a slight freak out when this scene came on <laughs> and i wasn't sure i could handle it wasn't sure I could, well, push on through, but I did. I persevered. <laughs> mm, yeah, we're going to talk more about this later. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a lot. It was a lot. I had a lot of things I'm going to have to deal with at some point. Oh, God. Okay. So, yeah, that's how I knew about this movie. Uh, so, should we stop and talk about it? Please do. Rate this movie for me. All right. So, soundtrack. I actually have a fuck jam, too. <gasps> it's a bit of a different tone, but yeah, two additions to the fuck jams playlist in one episode. We're back, baby. We're back. Uh, so the song is Winter's Love by Animal Collective. Hmm. They are definitely indie. So I'm not surprised if you haven't heard of them. Yeah, okay. I actually have heard of them, but I don't know why. Oh, oh, cool. Yeah, they they started off as a really lo-fi indie band uh, and apparently have continued on. They make music with guitar and, and synthesizer and, and kind of this, you know, uh, the lo-fi kind of janky type of aesthetic. <laughs> so this song is really lighthearted and it has the, these like really light vocals that are going kind of like, oh, what is, what are they? They don't go la la la, but they, they're basically la la la's. It's, it's really nice and fun and just happy. It's a very happy track. Mm-hmm. It really fits this tone of like showing how fun sex can really be and how it's not serious. It's it's not really sexy, but it's fun. It's fun. I just keep saying that, but it's true. <laughs> it is fun. And it's a perfect reminder that sex ought to be fun for everybody involved in it all the time. And that doesn't necessarily yeah. mean like playful or haha, but it should be fun and you should be enjoying it. 
Yeah, so I, I really like the soundtrack. Uh, it's not especially sexy, but I, I like it. It's really working, especially with the moments of laughter that, that come through. Uh, so I'm going to give it a four. Uh, okay, and then time. Uh, time, it's a short little scene, uh, although it doesn't really feel that short. It doesn't feel very short, I think, because of the, the extreme nature of some of the shots. They stick in your mind, even if they're very quick. Mm -hmm. So its use of time, I think, is good. It has these nice little sh quick shots. It has occasionally a bit of a more lingering shot that sort of shows that something's important, like on the man and the woman on the ground having sex. Uh, so I, I think it's using time pretty effectively. What, what do you think? I agree. And normally what we talk about here is like, uh, you know, how we see a narrative carry through or how we see, you know, escalation and de-escalation or whatever carrying through the physical action of sex. But in this situation, the narrative is outside the sex. The sex is just kind of mm -hmm. used to, to punctuate this narrative arc that Sophie, the main character is going through aside from the sex so it's it's a little bit different than what we usually talk about um i'd be judging it more on how much time we spend watching sophie's face sort of shut up your dick is tiny that's why you have a car modified to make that much noise so some i would judge it more by the time we spend really on sophie's face reacting mm -hmm. internally to what she's seeing rather than the time we spend on the sex because we're just getting these momentary snippets. And I do think there are parts of it that feel a little gratuitous to me, but not in the timing in what we see. So I think the timing sure. is fine. We're not lingering in anything that's uncomfortable or throwing off what you're seeing in terms of the narrative growth. So mm -hmm. I think it's good. You're right. The narrative arc is Sophie and Sophie's sort of internal reaction to what she's seeing. And I think it works because we see her sort of taking everything in. And there's sort of a moment where she, I'll reveal a little bit of what happens later. Uh, she does become a little bit uh, like fixated or attracted to this couple that she sees in this moment. Uh, and there's a moment later where she like locks eyes with this woman as she's getting pounded. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's very, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, it's a moment of connection and that's really what the whole film is about. You know, she, there's this hint that she's maybe going to be enticed when she sees this couple, but then they get interrupted and sort of the train of thought that she's in gets thrown off and her hesitancy returns and they, they, well, Bond V makes the decision that the, that they are going to leave. Actually, I might give it a five, honestly. I think it uses time very effectively, multiple levels using the sexuality, but also telling the story of Sophie's internal thoughts. Uh, yeah, you would know better than I would. I don't think I would rate it that highly coming in cold, just watching the scene without context, because 
everything that's going on with Sophie is so internal, you'd be more clued into it than I would not having watched the rest of it. But it does feel like a lot of shots of somebody's face not reacting to a room full of stuff that you should be reacting to. So, you know, you're getting more out of it than I am. It's clear that she's arriving, seeing things, feeling interested, but confused or hesitant or whatever. And then the confusion and hesitance kind of ebbs and flows until it's like, nope, gotta go. <laughs> so f- yeah. for me, that's not like a super full narrative in the time. Um, and it is just, a, and it's a lot of shots of her face not doing that much. But okay, I let you judge, obviously. <laughs> no, nah, you convinced me to bump it back down to a four because that's what I was thinking of before. <laughs> okay. So it's a four for time. Uh, Authenticity. Now, I <clears throat> I haven't been to a sex party. I did think about going to one once. <laughs> I chickened out and I came to regret that. <laughs> I do wish now that I had gone. You know, so I can't say, for instance, how authentic it is to be in a room full of people fucking. They certainly seem like really casual about it. They, they're again, isn't anything terribly outrageous or like uh, cinematic necessarily happening. It's really is just giving you the feeling of these are people who regularly have sex, just having sex around other people regularly having sex, you know? Yeah, there's nothing outrageous in the individual sex acts. The circumstances are heightened because I don't know how common it is to be in a room with dozens of people boning all at the same time. It obviously happens. There is a real Mm -hmm. subculture and people actually do it. Um, But that part is uncommon. But the individual moments, I think, that we're seeing capture authentic moments of intimacy and sex and maybe love, I don't know, but joy and playfulness that are that seem real and seem mm-hmm. attainable yeah i honestly i don't think it's that inauthentic which i didn't expect <laughs> for a group sex scene uh i think i might just give it a three i think that's fair yeah uh but, but, but heat now the shots by themselves sort of the individual shots seem really hot to me like those two people sucking that dick, those two women on the bomb that's swinging around, uh, this man and woman that she's sort of fixated on having sex on the floor. Those shots individually, they're very hot. I mean, they are extremely explicit as well. Uh, they're very hot. Somehow the cumulative experience of it, though, is not very sexy. No. Do you agree? Yeah. Well, you're reading Sophie's reaction to it in that moment also, which is mostly mostly discomfort and confusion. So there are individual things that or like individual shots where I'm like, if I spent more time watching that, I would probably find it hot. But because it's so quick, it's just more like a little shocking or a little detached maybe i am unfortunately just a romantic bitch in my heart and one of my favorite things (laughs) that go along that goes along with sex is the intimacy and the connection and the romance of it and so that's completely lacking in these in these moments because they they don't have context for me 
or probably for you either, for the most part, maybe one or two of those couples, but the rest of them are just kind of sex extras, probably. They're (laughs) sex sex extras. (laughs) 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 I, I am not connecting with the heat and sexiness of it in that way. There isn't anything inherently visually appealing to me about, for example, seeing somebody ride a dick real hard. (laughs) I don't see that and think, yeah, that's the stuff. We Um, do differ on that one. We do. It's true. Yeah. I, I enjoy, I enjoy seeing bodies engaged in sex. Yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. I'll be honest. Uh, A lot of this movie did kind of turn me on. Uh, It, it is really sexy in parts not necessarily this scene like we said the feeling here is much more shocking and confusing but some of the parts later where it's just you know a pre-existing couple or thruple having sex uh it's nice it's sexy it's hot but again i like i like seeing i like seeing people have sex i like it It makes me happy makes me horny fair enough yeah so for heat i'm gonna give it a two I think that's fair. Okay. Uh, Then production value. I like it. I'm very impressed with the production value throughout this film. It was only made for two million. So that's half an episode of a cheap Sense8 episode. Mm. (laughs) But yeah, two million dollars. And it really looks good. It's very clearly artistic. It's It's making the statement that this is art, not porn. And uh, I think it's beautiful, really. I, I don't have too much to say about it. Uh, I like the moment, as I already mentioned, where they switch to the digital video camera. It's just a few little shots, but it's really grounding it in the time period. And that's so important because the time period is, as I said, a major part of the film. Yeah, I think the production value is good. I think you're right. I think it's got interesting editing they make that good choice with the the switch to that grainy digital look yeah there's not not that much to say about it it's pretty it's pretty conventional production value um for the mm-hmm. for the most part which again this is the thing we've talked about before where i think it's more important to have conventional production value if you've got something unconventional happening in the narrative which is what this mm-hmm. is yeah i think it's good no complaints no Oh, one thing I do like, uh, I like how saturated the film is in color. Uh, A lot of indie films, especially more nowadays, uh, they're very gray, very gray toned. And I really appreciate when a film uses color effectively. And I think this does. I'm going to give production value four. Four. Yeah. You right? Yeah, honestly, I think you should watch this, Kate. Maybe a time when you're alone. <laughs> yeah, it would be okay for me to have a moment with it because um, nobody in my family is in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll also put in a, a few content warnings for people. Suicide is a, is a plot point as well. If you, can, if you can handle that, it's a good movie. Good note. I think that means we're at the end. No, we have a super scientific survey. You're right. We brought the super scientific survey back. Oh, my God. I can't believe I forgot. 
This one really demanded some data. And here's the question we posed to our listeners. We said, what's your ideal number of orgy participants? Is it four to six, seven to nine, or 10 to 12? You handled the regular survey. I handled the Instagram side. We got mm-hmm. bum, 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 one response on Instagram from our friends over at the Mostly Horror Movie Night podcast. <laughs> Yay! Love those guys. And they said, gotta be seven to nine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love those guys. If you like horror films, you should go check out Mostly Horror Movie Night. They're very fun. So uh, we got a whopping number of three responses from the official VIP survey. I know specifically these must all come from your friends (laughs) because I sent it. I sent it to one of my friends and his response was, I don't want to do an orgy. (laughs) Like, okay, well, fine. That's no fun. <laughs> I know. I'm like, well, uh, uh, pretend. Um, so we got two responses that say uh, four to six and one response that says seven to nine. So people are a little bit mm, cautious, dare I say conservative, in their orgy participants. They are. I uh, Interesting. I did get a side text from somebody who I don't know if they answered the survey and in full disclosure this was a member of my family (laughs) (laughs) it's a very family focused it's a it's a family affair (laughs) let's get it on film um this particular member of my family said that's a tough one group sex versus orgy is tough and then elaborated Mm. group sex i feel like is less and orgies are more like a free-for-all. Well, group sex is planned mm. after I sort of sent a, what's the difference? Ha ha ha. Because again, nobody had yet explained the difference to me. So um, that mm-hmm. was that was one one side response I got. So I think um, good, good test group seems like a very fair and balanced collection mm-hmm. of data. And I think we're ready to publish. <laughs> Let's get this peer reviewed out there. Um, yeah. Uh, well, that's great. That's fun. Uh, and this is an a easy reminder that you should be following us on Instagram uh, because we post surveys in our stories sometimes. So, yeah, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at Let's Get It On Film. Uh, you can find our website let's get it on film.com and you can email us at info at let's get it on film dot com dot com <laughs> that's important don't forget it uh yeah and you can find us where you get your podcasts don't forget to do those things that help us get seen like subscribe mm-hmm. rate and review um and check mm-hmm. out the fuck jams playlist on spotify our our companion piece which has two great new additions this week yes very fun very sexy oh okay i just want to say thank you i have such fun with you when we do this oh the feeling is not mutual i hate you all right well <laughs> let's get this over with uh <laughs> keep it pervy everyone keep it pervy Good episode. I like that one. From the society he has bent
Savas.